Fantastic to uh, hear uh, what Claire was sharing about the different holes that we may well fall into or feel pushed into or we end up in a hole and it looked a little bit like her camera was sinking into a hole didn't it so all part and parcel I'm sure of something very deliberately uh, um, created by Claire and what a brilliant visual aid we've got this week on the A35 who's driven eastward to see that incredible sinkhole yeah uh, obviously, it's too dangerous for, for us to drive past to, to video, but I would have loved to have just driven past there slow enough to take a look in to see how deep it is. Off the back of what Claire has shared, I'm going to uh, read you uh, somebody's autobiography. Uh, it's by uh, Portia Nelson, and this is their autobiography in five short chapters. It's called There's a Hole in the Pavement. And I'm going to read you this morning all five chapters. Chapter 1. I walk down the street. There's a deep hole in the pavement. I fall in. I'm lost. I'm helpless. It isn't my fault. It takes forever to find a way out. Chapter 2. I walk down the street. There's a deep hole in the pavement. I pretend that I don't see it. I fall in again. I can't believe I'm in this same place, but it isn't my fault. It takes a long time to get out. Chapter 3. I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the pavement. I see it is there. I still fall in. It's a habit. But my eyes are open. I know where I am, but it is my fault. I get out immediately. Chapter 4. I walk down the same street. There's a hole in the pavement. I walk around it. Chapter 5. I walk down another street. Now, of course, that's a story that may well be speaking about experiences that we have and a discovering of how we ought to take our own sense of responsibility to, f- to not fall in the same hole over and over again because sometimes holes that are appear uh, in our lives it's down to our own choices why we end up in them and it takes a great deal of learning for us to get out of them it's very different from the story that we're going to have read to us in a few moments time about something that occurred in the life of a guy called joseph last week we saw as an introduction to this life of this character in the old testament called uh, joseph we saw the dangers of gloating of favoritism of jealousy and resentment in the unfolding picture of joseph's father and brothers We see that uncontrolled negative emotions lead from one sin to another. But despite the uh, hatred and resentment being displayed by Joseph's brothers particularly, and the irresponsibility displayed by his dad, the overall principle in Joseph's life that we'll see is that God is sovereign. He's very much present all the way through the story. What others intend for evil, God can still use to achieve his purposes he can even use our times of despair and that's what we're going to be thinking about today dealing with despair 
uncontrolled emotions all stem from that sense of having a depraved heart. Jesus said these words in Matthew 15. Out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. Hate is a very strong emotion which uncontrolled leads to murder, whether that be uh, psychological murder or physical. That's how powerful emotions are. Evil thoughts must be stopped or they will lead to evil conduct. In the book of Proverbs, again in the Old Testament, Proverbs chapter 23, the Bible says this, for as he thinks, so is his heart. The result for Joseph is that he is left in complete despair and fear off the back of being on the receiving end of those negative emotions of others. Or as one translation put it that came up and was shared by somebody yesterday in Cafe Church, he was in anguish of soul. So, if you've got a Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 37. We read the first half of that uh, last week. We're going to have a few selected verses from the, uh, the beginnings of Genesis chapter 37 and then see how that story pans out from there. And without further ado, I'm going to hand over to Caroline, who's going to read that for us. Good morning, everybody. So, as Roger has kindly said, we're going to read from Genesis chapter 37 and beginning at verse 3 with selected verses. Now, Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age and he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, Listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of corn in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright, while your sheaves gathered round mine and bowed down to it. His brothers said to him, Do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Now his brothers had gone to graze their father's flocks near Shechem. And Jacob said to Joseph, As you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, I am going to send you to them. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dotham. But they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into this cistern here in the wilderness and don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. 
The cistern was empty, there was no water in it. As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites come from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm and myrrh, and they went on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the cistern and saw that Joseph was not there, he tore his clothes. He went back to his brothers and said, The boy isn't there. Where can I turn now? Then they got Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in the blood. They took the ornate robe back to their father and said, We found this. Examine it to see whether it is your son's robe. He recognized it and said, It is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, I will continue to mourn until I join my son in the grave. So his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. Thank you very much, Caroline, for reading that, especially the same week as I know that you've had the funeral service for your dad. So speaking out of despair, but I know you wanted to be here. Bless you. What do you think about those brothers then? I mean, I guess there's been some sibling rivalry that you may well have had for those of us that have got brothers or sisters, but probably nothing to the ilk that we've seen uh, here. Not nice brothers, were they, at all? And by the way, if you saw the word on the screen uh, talking about uh, Israel and you heard uh, that the name Jacob be said, they are the same person, okay? Firstly, I want us to to, uh, be honest about the fact that it's not unusual, is it, for most of us to experience times of despair in our lives. It's more than losing a cup final, Chelsea fans. It's more than forgetting your mum's birthday or not finding your glasses uh, like I couldn't after last Sunday's service. Despair, according to a dictionary definition, is this. The feeling that there is no hope and that you can do nothing to improve a difficult or worrying situation. That's an understatement, that sense of loss, that sense of hopelessness. It's a dreadful place to find yourself in. 
I've thought about that whole uh, experience of despair, obviously, in preparing for today. And up until yesterday, I shared with Cafe Church, I can think of two experiences in my own life where there was a sense of rock bottomness. I thought of another one subsequently, probably three uh, occasions of feeling complete and utter despair. What about you? It's a real thing, isn't it, for many of us? News of a terminal disease or an unexpected death. A child who disappoints, who gets caught up with the wrong crowd. A parent who wants nothing more to do with you. The loss of a job. The discovery of an affair. The house being repossessed. The rejection of a close friend. Being abused by a family member. You're never marrying Never being able to have children. The threat of bullies. The addiction to gambling. Fear over someone you love. Never becoming a Christian. An accident meaning that you will never be the same again. The crippling of cruel words said to you. I dare say you could add your own experience onto that if it wasn't in that list. Several of you may well have more than the three times of despair, rock bottom, that that I could think about through this week in my own life. Worse still, maybe, is if this comes in contrast to how things were. And that's the case in relation to this character that we're looking at today, called Joseph. He's well off. Well built, got great looks, the favoured son, his prospects are good. He even receives two God-given dreams concerning his future, where even his brothers will be beneath him one day. He's going to do well, he's going to be fast-tracked, he's got it made. You may well see or know of people that have had that sense of everything going well in their lives. We think, wow, one day things are fine for Joseph. The next day, it's as if his worst nightmare has become reality. And that's the thing with despair, isn't it? None of us know what's going to be potentially around the corner. We just don't know. It's not always going to be someone else out there. One day it could well be you. Or it could well be me again. God, where are you? That may well have been what Joseph would have felt. He's despised by his his brothers to the point of they wanted to kill him. He's their own brother. They decide to throw him into a pit to die in the desert heat. And they even strip him of his prized possession. God, where are you? I wonder if we've ever exclaimed that. When things go badly wrong, our faith can also be affected. It's fine to sing the songs that we've been singing, isn't it? When life is good, praise is rising. It's very easy to do that when life is good and things are going our way. But what about when they're not? What about when we're in the pit of despair? We even use that as a phrase, don't we? Here Joseph is in an actual pit of despair. There's the despair we can maybe feel a little sense of, of the brothers, the guilt maybe of Reuben. Well, only because he was thinking, well, I'm the oldest. I've got to give an account uh, for my uh, my brother here. So what's going to then happen to me? That was his biggest concern. There's the despair of Jacob. But we're not going to think about that. We're going to think about that real 
life sinkhole that occurred out of nowhere in the life of Joseph. Our own sense of despair won't seem fair. It never does. Because we won't choose to be in that place. But one thing that we should acknowledge is that whilst we have felt, uh, is that um, whilst we may well have felt um, during such times was desperately painful, we won't be the only people who would have felt such pain. Others' pain may well have been different, but I suspect every single one of us, either watching or here today, has experienced certain element or certain degree of genuine despair. It may even be how you are feeling right now. If that is the case, don't despair any longer because as we come to God's word, we'll discover there is always hope. That's why this book is such a great book to come to. It's why our God is such an amazing God because we worship and believe in a God of hope. It never ends with despair. Even to the point of that worst case scenario, as we've quite recently thought about Easter and Jesus being dead on the cross, crucified. It was not the end. Whatever the despair. Even Jesus himself, as he hung from that cross, God, where are you? Where are you? But it wasn't the end. You might be feeling that sense of despair as if you've been thrown into a deep pit and life is just like being in one dark, deep hole, a sinkhole, similar maybe to the pictures that we've seen about the A35. If that is you, and certainly if that's you and you're here today, I want to say well done for coming and being here. Because over my many years of doing what I'm doing, I've discovered that one of the first things Christians usually choose to do is stay away from church because I don't feel like being amongst others. I don't feel like coming to church because I'm feeling so low. By contrast, this is exactly the place that we ought to come. Even if it acts in conflict to what we're feeling deep within. However hard, the best place for us to be is in the midst of God's people. Now, we've got two people who are going to be sharing their own form of story uh, today. And one of those uh, is Jane, uh, Jane Fishlock, but Jane not to be forever Fishlock because she's shortly going to be married to Mark, uh, who's over here. So Jane said, yeah, I don't mind sharing something of my own uh, experience of that sense of uh, despair. So have you got the green light appearing there, Jane? Um, me, who God made me, and I'm an active person and in love with Mark because we're getting married. Yay! <laughs> now Mark's looking all embarrassed and coy and shy. But we're thinking about despair. Now, I, I can remember the first time that you shared your story with, with me, Jane, but in terms of how despair hit you in the experience that I know you're going to share... Just briefly remind people what occurred to you as someone who's a marathon runner, very athletic. What happened? Yeah, as Rogers just mentioned, um, I was very, is that right? Um, very active um, and enjoying life very much to the full. Had my own motorbike, sailing, swimming, running. 
And then uh, as I was in the midst of doing the Three Peaks Challenge and training for the London Marathon, I started tripping up. And this gradually started getting worse. And then in January 2012, I got stuck in the bath and I lost all use of my legs. So I haven't always been in the chair. So a lot of you know me from always being in the chair. I haven't always been this way. And my life fell apart at that point because everything I knew had just been stripped away. And at the time, my family were downstaying, um, my parents, and it took my mum and my son and daughter, Chloe and Reuben, to get me out of the bath. We didn't know what was going on and didn't know if that would be the situation ongoing. Um, And that led to a lot more testing. And during that time, I was in, I was rock bottom. And as Roger said, um, I didn't want to go be in church because I didn't really know what was happening at that point. You then obviously had countless tests, visits to doctor, and and then there was a diagnosis. But it was quite incredible, your response to that. What was going on in your head? Tell people what, what that diagnosis was and what do you think led to your own sense of response to that? Yeah, I was then after MRI scans um, and lots of drugs to give me relaxants, my spasms stopped or became under control. Um, I was then given the diagnosis of MS, multiple sclerosis. And I was then, um, on the te- day, I had the MRI on, I'll never forget it, um, March the 26th. And the very next day, I had a phone call from the consultant, secretary saying, oh, Jane, Um, the consultant would like to see you and I went oh yeah fine when would that be and she said he'd like to see in clinic today and it was like okay so I went along and he gave me the diagnosis of he said I'm 99% sure that you've got multiple cirrhosis and I thanked him and he said I've never been thanked By anyone before for giving them a diagnosis of MS and I said but at least now I know what I'm dealing with it's not something in my mind um, and it was something okay this is what I'm dealing with let's just get on and deal with it and at the time I was also involved in an alpha course and I phoned the chap I was helping leading a group with which had been really tough because um, I'd stayed away from church during this time partially also because I couldn't really get there easily but I just didn't want to really be there and so it was really hard being in this alpha group situation trying to be positive when I really wasn't but I phoned Um, Nigel and I said I'm not going to be there tonight but I've got a diagnosis and he said 
and I told him I got a diagnosis of, of MS and he said oh I'm sorry and I said no I'm really excited as to what God's going to do through this and he was like wow and do you know let me just go and share this bit about how over the last so that was 2012 and over this last um, nine years I've met and continued to meet some amazing people and the opportunities and do you know you've just got to change your mindset it's all very well for me to go thinking back of things I used to be able to do and what I can't do but it doesn't achieve anything and it's just thanking God for what he's given me and I just pray that he gives me the strength to get through each day and it's just having that change of mindset saying okay I can't run but I can do so much more and and that has been proven over this last year with lockdown. Um, I've met some amazing folks all on Zoom. And it's having that positive mindset saying, OK, thank you, God, for making me who I am and using the opportunities that I come across. And so pulling me out from the real low place that I was in and the struggles to not really not knowing where this was going, to actually thinking, okay, this is where I am. It's not always easy. I'm not saying life's a bed of roses always. Um, but, you know, God, I know God loves me. And um, he's brought Mark and I together. And that was, again, something when I met Roger, I never thought that that would be the case. Bless you. Can we show our encouragement and appreciation to Jane, please? Wow. As I'm sure you'll appreciate, there's a lot more to Jane's story, and you may well want to uh, chat with her further uh, about that. I'm glad that she added in that life is not always a, a bed of roses. I guess if we'd interviewed Jane back nine years ago, it would have been almost as if there was that uh, kind of like a, a knee-jerk response of, of initially having some form of, of crutch emotionally or whatever. But Jane's speaking from experience about how God has met her, been with her, and we don't need to stay carrying that sense of despair. Thank you, uh, Jane, again, for being willing to share on that painful uh, subject, but very real um, issue in your life, but on to more positive things. Although numbers are restricted in terms of those who can come, as I'm sure you'll appreciate, uh, to Jane and Mark's wedding on the 31st of this month, you can all watch on live stream. So we trust that you will join into and enter into that and pray for this start of this new uh, journey for the soon to be Mr. and Mrs. Atkins. Things go wrong, don't they, in life? Three people in agreement, right? Things go wrong don't they, in our lives. Things go wrong ultimately because we live in a world contaminated by sin and lived in by people who sin. That's the bottom line. 
It's a direct result of our rejection of God in the first place. If we go back theologically and think about the book of Genesis in those first early chapters. As humanity, we have indeed reaped what we have sown. What about Joseph? He's the central uh, figure, isn't he, to our thinking today. He's human, spiritually shattered, and would probably have asked God what on earth he was playing at. How could my own family have done this to me? He may well have thought from the bottom of the pit. Some of us may well have even used that phrase in the past because of a situation in our own family. How low that can make us feel when that close-knit group of people have maybe hurt us in such a way. Or maybe we have been let down by our Christian family by the church surely not it happens because churches are made up of people some never recover from that pain or hurt that's been caused by another believer or a group of believers and although as christians we should respond and react and behave differently we're not perfect We must hold to our faith being in God if we feel on the receiving end of such pain. Our faith isn't in people. However, we all each ought to behave. If we put people on a pedestal, what's going to happen to that individual? Sooner or later, that individual is going to fall off because none of us are perfect. Joseph had pretty much everything but now had nothing as a result of family. No water, no protection, no comfort, and no hope. No one. No one. A lot of people over this last year and a bit have felt that sense of acute isolation as if in a very deep hole. No one. Let's seek to learn whatever it is that is the the time of despair that may well come our way. I want to just remind us of those verses that we read or had read to us by Caroline. Beginning again from verse 19. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns. Just say that a ferocious animal has devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dream. Reuben tried to rescue them from their hands let's not take his life don't shed any blood let's throw him into this cistern here in the desert don't lay a hand on him reuben said this to rescue him from them and take them back uh, take him back to his father so when joseph came to his brothers they stripped him of his robe the richly ornamented robe he was wearing and they took him and threw him into the cistern now the cistern was empty there was no water in it I wonder what you picture here. We've just rattled through that in in literally probably 25 seconds as a re-read of those few verses. How long would that process have taken to have occurred? I tried to close my eyes and uh, and not draw back the curtain. Any dream will do. No, that's a cue for a song. Uh, I tried to close my eyes this week and think a little bit about what was going on here. 
The sight of his multicolored uh, coat probably set off the brothers in the first place. Ah, here he comes. They were dressed in work clothes, in shepherding sheep attire. But Joseph was dressed in this ornate robe, suited for a king's palace. And their previous feelings of resentment would have took hold as he got closer and closer. And we can imagine some of the, the, the verbal that would have been being bigged up and being egged on uh, amidst the other um, brothers as daddy's favourite suddenly gets closer. I picture the brothers being incredibly angry, intimidating, aggressive maybe towards Joseph, him being fearful as they start to issue threats towards him, verbalizing their despising him. I picture the brothers closing in on him, Joseph feeling surrounded in growing panic for what they may well do to him. We read that they stripped him of his robe. They didn't ask him to just take it off so they could put it on a coat hanger until later. This was something that you sense was quite an aggressive and violent uh, altercation. And that maybe under some sort of a scuffle, there may well have been punches or kicks uh, thrown. Who knows? Or maybe even worse. Maybe he was dragged along the floor before eventually they threw him into the cistern. No gently lowering down to leave him there. They threw him in. They really didn't care. What we do know is that later in the story, and do uh, have a, a sneak of chapter 42 and verse 21, when the brothers remember back of how Joseph feared for his life. We haven't got that in the text here, but that was exactly what Joseph was feeling. If he feared for his life, you can fill in some of the blanks, can't you? As to what he must have been feeling. From that place he was in, there would have been no way out. As that felt similar to you at any time in your own life. From this place that I have suddenly found myself in. Whether or not I've been responsible for some of that or not. The place that I am in, there appears no way out. He was alone. Just with his own thoughts. That can be painful, can't it? Fearing what else his brothers might have in store. Fearing the unknown. Feeling battered, exhausted, no doubt hungry and thirsty too. There's little joy of being in a deep, dark hole. You know where the only sense of hope is? If you're in that place? It's in looking up. Because that's the only place where there is light. And we can spiritualise that, can't we? Maybe for those of us who feel uh, in some form of metaphorical dark hole, the only source of light can be when we choose to look up and reach out to the one who is always there and that light never gets extinguished. Joseph did not plan to be in a pit. He didn't want to be in a pit, but now he was uh, there. God would use that experience to teach Joseph and make him better prepared for his task and calling ahead. And we'll be seeing that over the next few weeks. Although he'd been convinced that he'd heard God in terms of his future, he'd had these two God-given dreams. So that was true. But nobody would have been interested in his testimony right then, would they? Because he's in a hole. His bookshelf appearing on, on the shelves at Herring's Bookshop wouldn't have been selling particularly well because he was still in a hole. There wasn't a testimony really 
to tell. The writer to the Hebrews is yet to be convinced of declaring Joseph to be a role model for faith because at this moment in time he's still in a hole. What can we do if we're in a hole? In one sense the only thing that we're able to do is pray and sometimes people feel in such a hole and unable to do anything that the only thing that we are able to do and that you might be able to do is to pray That is not a small thing. We need people that recognize the only thing that they are able to do and to give is to use that gift of prayer. If you think you can no longer do anything for God, pray. We even need people who maybe feel, in certain degrees, a sense of feeling restricted and not able to do other things so that they can give their time more fully for that. There's no account here of Joseph complaining though which is interesting maybe he reflected on what had made his brothers so jealous of him maybe he begins to see that the coat uh, had to be stripped uh, from him because he placed its own significance over God or was it because it, uh, it was this that had created such pride within We don't know, but we do know that we can be prone to enjoying a sense of status or role or position or letters before our name or letters after our name. Some of us are just pleased to have letters in our name. But status can be a big thing, can't it? God had Joseph's attention. And as we reflect on our own sense of being in a big hole, I hope that God has got your attention too. What does it take for him to get our attention Maybe it's when things go wrong. Going to hear from Johnny, who's also got his own story to tell in terms of an experience of the despair that he recalls. Hi, Johnny. Good to see you. Thanks ever so much for for being willing to share something about this this whole subject of dealing with uh, with despair. We've just got to this point uh, in uh, the life of Joseph of thinking about this guy having been chucked down a cistern, a deep, dark pit. Um, now, now, as soon as you were aware, we were looking at that story and that's this subject, that kind of resonates with you somewhat from about 10 years ago, yeah? Tell us about that. Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah, well, when I was... Um uh, uh, 18 years old, my old brother committed suicide, and uh, yeah, I I just could not believe how low I went. And about nine months afterwards, I just felt well, I was dangerously suicidal for nine months after. Um, now, how on earth anybody gets out of that? I I, I don't know. I, I was obviously aware at the time and took the the service uh, for Daniel. I know it's been horrifically painful for for all of you, I'm sure, but. Um, you've not stayed in that place. So something's happened that stepped into that world of despair. What, what was it that happened about a week away or a weekend away, Johnny, or something? That's right. Well, we, we had a weekend, a church weekend away. And um, it just so happened that the, 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 the theme of the weekend was actually on Jonah, who well, it was on a, a small called by God, He'd be diagnosed with manic depression these days. He just was miserable despite being called by God. And that gave me a, a sense of affirmation uh, that 
this is this is a thing. This is okay. This does happen. That and I, it gave me that glimpse of hope. I think, and that I, I didn't feel suicidal after that. Not seriously again. That's incredibly powerful. I mean, the <laughs> irony is, of course, that Joseph was in a cistern. Jonah being in the big belly of a big fish, uh, kind of like at his own deep, dark pit as well. You did, but you didn't end there. So uh, obviously 10 years on, there's no way you're in a pit now, Johnny. I mean, how is it you're feeling now? And how do you reflect back onto that time in terms of, you know, how you got out and uh, and what proved to be a way forward for you? Well, it took a long time. I'd say a little over 10 years it took to really process that, really go forward. But uh, yeah, I, the last couple of years, especially, I'm like a new person and just that sense of healing I have. And all that mess for like, what, 11, 12 years it took. I've got such a wide range of insights and understanding that it's making me so much more useful to God now. And in, min- in helping and serving others, it's just invaluable. Well, it enables you to step into the shoes of other people that have been in maybe some uh, some way uh, their own sort of cistern, doesn't it? I mean, if there was uh, anything that you'd want to pass on by way of encouragement, Johnny, to others that might be feeling in a deep, dark pit themselves now, what, what would you say to them? I would say that... Um, Healing, take, healing is possible and it is realistic, but most of the time it would take a long time. And that doesn't mean there isn't hope. These things just take a long time. Yeah, yeah. And it's trusting God that there is that hope that we actually be pulled up out of the system and still be used by him as well, which is great. Brilliant. It's, <laughs> fantastic. it's fantastic that that is your story, Johnny. So thanks so much for being willing to, to share what I know must have been really painful for you, but God bless you, mate. Sure. Grateful to both Jane and to Johnny to uh, relive some of those difficult and dark experiences that they've gone through. The loss of limbs, suicide of a family member, and yet we come to this place and Johnny touched on it and It would be inappropriate to end before we remind ourselves of this, that there is always hope, even when in times of despair. We don't necessarily know exactly how long Joseph had been in that uh, pit, long enough for him to do some hard thinking, but not long enough to die. It may well have been two or three days. That's a best guesstimate that people have had. Suddenly, without uh, being aware of the commotion above of all the traders, Joseph then hears his brothers coming to lift him out of the pit. Yes, they're here at last. My prayer has been answered. Thank you, God. He's in the pit. Suddenly he's lifted out. But then he's sold into slavery. And it's kind of like out of one pit and into another. How degrading. He must have been so hated by his brothers. They were thugs. If you want to read back the preceding few chapters, you can see that the way that his brothers were as people. Then lying to their own father, which meant nothing to them as well. Jacob has got no idea 
uh, that they could have been that despicable. There's no evidence here to suspect, to say that, uh, that he suspected his boys were guilty at all. As for Joseph, he didn't even have the opportunity to say goodbye to his dad. He didn't speak the language of these Egyptians. Now he's going to be thrown into a very different culture. And remember, he was just 17 years of age at the time. He's a kid. Upon arrival in Egypt, he hears people talking about him, but he doesn't understand. He's sold into the hands of Potiphar, chief of the executioners, out of one pit and into another. And there's going to be more ups and downs as we journey with Joseph. He must have continued to feel in despair, albeit a slightly different form of. Jacob is certainly in despair. We can see at the close of that chapter of the, of the chapter. But it sets itself up and ourselves up for the rest of the story, which with all of its twists and turns, we see that God is still ultimately in control and will indeed work out his purposes for good in and through Joseph's life. And that's the encouragement for the likes of you and me. Sometimes God is able to break in and bring complete transformation in the now. But often the journey to recovery and freedom is long and it's a painful one. Johnny was recounting nine years worth. And it began for him at a church weekend away. And I know the name of the person who spoke to Johnny that weekend, which proved to be so transformational for him. You see, God might even choose you to speak to someone else without your being aware that they're in their own pit of despair. And that in itself could be life changing. Be open to that. The words of the hymn come to mind. Through many dangers, toils and snares, I have already come. It's grace that's brought me safe thus far and grace will lead me home. Amazing grace. Paul told the church at Corinth, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is not uh, is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. Because he knew that there was a God who was holding on to him. Hang on, hang on, hang in there. If you feel that you're in a hole right now and that there's no way out, that all around you is maybe this wall of mud. Some of you may well have felt that you've been there for a long time. My encouragement would be that you look up. The only light for Joseph would have been if he raised his eyes. The psalmist said these words in Psalm 121. I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. The Lord watches over you. What an encouragement as we move into an opportunity to respond. Firstly, with a song called Good, Good Father. Take time out whether or not you're in that pit of despair, feeling in that deep, dark hole now. Or maybe you're still needing a touch of God's healing because you remember a time that you were. Or maybe God is calling you to bring a word of hope to someone you know who is in that similar sinkhole place. Let's let's just close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are an unchanging God. 
that you are not ever caught out by surprise or caught napping. Absolutely nothing goes on that you don't know about. We can so easily get blown about by, from crisis to crisis and miss out on the peace that only you can give. When all around us is uncertain and difficult, you can be trusted. Time and time again you have demonstrated that, but how short our memories can be. When hard times come, we don't automatically call out to you. Please forgive our lack of faith and our short-term memories. Lord, this week, may we seek to connect with you better, to listen to you, to speak with you, to just spend time with you and become more like you, Jesus. Jesus, thank you that you do not forget us, but that that we are constantly on your mind and how you want to bless and enrich our lives. May we accept these gifts and use them to bless others around us. We have so much to be thankful for, Lord. Thank you that the restrictions we hope may be eased and we think and pray for those who have lost much over this past year, whether that's bereavement, feeling of isolation or feeling of being lost and now maybe a bit panicky and uncertain as to what the future will look like. Please be close to those who have suffered with anxiety or mental health problems. We continue to thank you for the key workers in this land and in all roles. And we ask that you, in your wisdom, guide our government and politicians. We thank you that we live in a peaceful country. We also pray for countries that do not have the resources or the ability to have such a fantastic vaccination programme. Places like India, Brazil and Mexico, among many others. Help us not to forget that they are our brothers and sisters and your creation who you love so much. Please help countries to work together. We also pray for ourselves. We would ask that you continue to lead this church, be with our leaders and our elders and give them your wisdom, God. Help us as we all help us as a church to pray, pay our part in praying and supporting them. We also pray for the ter- churches in and around Dorchester that they may be light and a beacon of hope. Help all. Help us all to make those fantastic news of Jesus known to those we meet, those in our families, our friends, and may the beauty of Jesus shine through. Lord, we thank you that Dee has had her procedure done yesterday at DCH and all went well and she is doing okay. We also continue to pray that you'll be with our church family who are in need, be that unwell physically or mentally. Bring your healing that their lives will be made whole again. Amen.